How are you all doing on one last hour of sleep? <laughs> okay. So um, anybody, whenever this comes up, in the fall, we always like, oh, I get to stay up an extra hour. Some of you, yes, yes. Some of you are like, no way. How many of you guys went to bed? Because no one like, okay, like we had dinner last night at s- about 6.30, but it was really 7.30. So how many of you guys went to bed yesterday's time, like by 9 o'clock, just knowing that you're going to lose an hour? Anybody? Really? Just one? Okay. 10 o'clock? Oh. Anybody stay up later than 10 o'clock? Wow. <laughs> Check you guys out. No wonder you're asleep. If you fall asleep in the next 20 minutes, <laughs> I have a Sharpie pen that uh, I'm ready to... No, just kidding. I love that passage of Scripture with Mitch. Thank you for stepping out. Uh, first time he's ever led communion. Thank you for, uh, thanks for stepping out and being, um, just being you and sharing that passage in Joel. Um, that God is going to pour out his spirit. God is pouring out his spirit um, right now. And so are we vessels that he will pour into and I was thinking, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. And, and um, I don't dream very often anymore, because I just don't sleep. <laughs> I don't sleep long enough to dream. But last night, I was having this incredible dream, and I was, for some reason, I was playing soccer. I don't know, I was, and I was playing soccer, and I was running down the side, and I was like lining up to shoot, and I was dodging all these people, I was like, how is this happening? And, and I was just getting ready to score, and then I get this shoulder push, and saying, honey, honey, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know, I was just getting ready to shoot, you know. So, because I guess I was moving around in my sleep, um, and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I was dreaming about playing soccer, and the response was giggles. Like, you, <laughs> like, you play soccer? Nope, I actually don't play soccer, but I had a dream about it. Are we vessels in this season right now? I believe that God is pouring out his spirit right now. Are we vessels that he can pour into? And I want you, would you just close your eyes for a moment with me this morning? And I want to ask that question again. But I want to personalize it. Am I a vessel, Jesus, that you will pour into? Am I available to you? And God, I pray that our response this morning would be a resounding yes. God, pour out your spirit in us. Give us vision. Give us dreams. Kingdom dreams. Not soccer dreams, but kingdom dreams. That will make a difference in the community that you have placed us in. Whether we live right here in Renton, or Maple Valley, Kent, Auburn, Buckley, Wilkeson, wherever we are at, God, that you would meet us. Covington, God, that you would meet us. And you'd pour into us. And Lord, that we'd be vessels not only just to harbor and hold on to what you're pouring into us, but we would allow you to flow through us.
that we'd be vessels that would flow your presence to all that we come in contact with in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I pray that for us as a church. I pray that for us as individuals. Uh, Dana mentioned it's spring. The benefit of daylight savings time of losing that hour is, according to the calendar, we're eight days away from spring. And I'm praying that spring will be spring this year. Because I remember last year, I was still using my heated seats in June. So we're praying spring will be um, coming. New life, new growth. The coming alive of what has been cold and dormant and even mostly dead. (laughs) Spring, I love spring. But what we talked about a few weeks ago was Winter really is needed. And before I even go any further, last week we had three sermons Sunday. And we had three people from our congregation get up and share what God has been teaching them through our study of Second Peter. So we had Jan and we had Rick and Lonnie all shared. And I just want to say, I want to publicly say thank you for doing that. Okay. And um, your insight was incredible. And... Uh, I look forward to you guys doing it again. Thumbs up? Jan is kind of, you can have your pulpit back. Yeah. It was great. But winter is needed, and what does winter do? What are the benefits of winter? I mean, not just for our plants. I mean, I started studying how it affects our plants and all this stuff, but it really is this is how it affects us as well. Winter is a time for us to rest. It's a time for us to be focused on what Jesus is doing on the inside of us. It's a time for us to deepen our roots in him, to search for him, search for the living water. That's In the wintertime, that's what the plants are doing. They're digging their roots down deep. They're spreading their roots out so they can find water and they can find their nutrients in the soil. And for us, as followers of Christ, we are deepening our roots in him by by finding that living water, by digging into his word and getting the nutrients from his word to teach us, to guide us, to, again, be vessels that he will use to affect those that are around us. These are the things that happen during the wintertime. It's really important, but what I'm glad about is spring is coming. Spring is coming. If you look at your yard, anybody have yards? I mean, the older I get, the the less yard I want, really. (laughs) Sorry, Gretchen. Gretchen has an acre, and it looks like Bouchard Gardens at her house. Um, And um, she's young, and she takes care of it. But, yeah. How young? I know how young. 91 years old, and she takes care of an acre of property. Amazing. Spring is coming, and as we wrap up, this is our last Sunday in Second Peter, as we wrap up uh, the study of Peter's two letters to the churches uh, that were scattered and spread and, and really struggling at the time, he tells us that we need to grow. He says, I want you to grow. How do we grow? What, what does he want us to grow in? He wants us to grow in, in grace, and he wants us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Let's look at the first one. Grow in grace. Okay, I just want to grow in the knowledge of him. That's a tough one sometimes. Growing in grace. 
Because I want grace, but am I willing to give grace? Have we as a church been a gracious people? If I ask some of my former youth students, you know, I was a youth pastor. For those of you that are newer here, I was a youth pastor here for 20 years. And, um, and I have students now that when I first started, they're like, they're in their 40s. It's weird. It's really weird to think about. And some of them still, even now, they're, they're struggling. They're struggling in faith because the church really hasn't been that gracious. We haven't been that gracious to one another. I mean, yes, we're going to stand for truth, no doubt about it. Anything come against this, we're going to stand for this. So just know that. I'm not talking about, oh, we need to abandon the Bible and just be nice people. No, that's not what I'm saying. We need to be full of grace because that's what he calls us to. He has poured out his grace to us. He asks us to be gracious as well. So grow in grace. What do we know about grace? Well, this is what Paul says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For it is by what? Grace that we are saved. And in the midst of our difficult life, there's times where, and I pray that your life isn't always difficult, but we understand that there are times of difficulty this side of heaven. It seems like the last, like Dana said, the last few years, have been, it's been difficult. And it's hard to sometimes get past our difficulties. And then Paul was struggling with some of his own difficulties, some of his own physical difficulties, and he had prayed three times, God, would you heal me? Would you set me free from these things that physically hold me back? And God's response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes this is a tough one because I do believe that Jesus heals today. I've seen it. I've been part of it. I've received it. But I've also not received it if that makes sense to you. And I've seen people prayed for, and they still end up going to heaven, which is probably they win. It's the ultimate, right? It is the, Wayne Watson said back in the 80s or late early 90s, it is the ultimate healing is when we pass from this life to the next. But until that happens... Paul says in his conversation with Jesus, is, Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is just totally opposite what, what the world would say. Our power is made perfect in strength, in durability. But no, Jesus tells Paul that my power in you is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul's response to that, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight 
in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many, what's the last, when's the last time you rejoiced or delighted in weakness and in insults? I get my feelings hurt really easy. And I usually don't delight in them. Paul says, because of what Jesus has done for me, I can look past all this temporary stuff that does not matter. And I can look at what's coming. And I can look at the bigger picture. Paul had a purpose. Paul was messed up. Right? If you study the book of the New Testament, Paul was messed up. And yet Jesus reached down and saved him because of grace and had plans for him. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament and traveled throughout the known world at that time in that region and made a huge impact for the kingdom. And yet he still had difficulties. If you study Paul's life, multiple shipwrecks, bit by a snake. I don't think anybody that I know in this room has ever been bit by a snake. Um, but he was fine. In our weakness, he is made strong. Grace is really all we need. Amen? It's good news. And the real good news is grace is found in Jesus, and that is offered to us today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter 3 this morning. Some of you have been asking to put slides up. This is the first time I've done slides for a long, 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 long time. So, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put the slides up to Second Peter because I want to ask you that you grab your Bible or grab your device, digital device, and look it up so we can read it together. It's important that when we go home today, we know where Second Peter is because I'm not going to be at your house with a clicker later today unless you invite me for lunch and then I bring my clicker. Second Peter chapter... 3, verses 14 through 18. We're going to wrap it up this morning. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. I love that. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. To him be glory. Not just then, but now, here. So Jesus is coming back. What are we supposed to be looking forward to? Peter tells us. Jesus is coming back. We need to be looking forward to his return. Jesus isn't going to come back in the meekness and in the humility 
that he came the first time. But he's going to come back in power and in strength. He's going to come back as king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And he's going to take back what is his. Whenever you think life is really hard and and you're really struggling, just know that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And because he won, we win. Jesus says that when he does return, he's going to make all things new. That's all I need. Just to know that when he comes back, he's going to make all things new. All my weaknesses, all my struggles, all my insecurities, all that stuff will be gone because I will be right there in his presence. All my pain, and as every day passes, there's more and more pain that shows up in my physical body. Right? All that will be gone. There will be no more tears. And for me, that's a big deal. If you know me, I'm a crier. I can't go to a movie or even watch TV without, like, tearing up. I was listening to a a sports podcast yesterday. (laughs) And I'm out changing light bulbs on our front porch. And this guy is talking about playing catch. He did... He had this idea that every single day he is going to play catch with somebody. So he keeps mitts in his car, baseball mitts, and a couple of baseballs, left-handed mitts, right-handed mitts. And he would just walk up to total strangers. For the last year, every single day, he would play catch with somebody, just random people. And he was talking about this one guy that he met it was actually here in Seattle. He's not from Seattle, but he was in Seattle. He was down on Rainier Avenue at the Lowe's on Rainier Avenue, which is the original spot of Sixth Stadium. And if you go around back of Lowe's, they still have like a golden or bronze in, uh, home plate in the, in, in the cement. And he was there, and there's some picnic tables set up there, and he asked somebody to play catch, and the guy says, no, I don't want to play catch. The only time in that whole year that anybody said no but there's this guy sitting on the bench next to him. And, he went, and the guy says, hey, I heard you want to play catch. He goes, yeah, I would love to play catch with you. And he goes, you know, I, I don't know if I can. Because four years ago, I had a massive stroke. And I haven't played catch in years. I don't even know if I can catch. I don't know if I can throw a ball. And they pulled the stuff out, and they stood about 10 feet apart. 15 feet apart, and they played catch for about 20 minutes. And he says that it was at that moment he realized he's not just playing catch anymore with people. It's not just about him going around playing catch. It's really about him spending time with people. It's really about the people. And I'm up there changing light bulbs, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) But it is about the people. It is about that connection. And we as a church, we're supposed to be about connection. I mean, after all, that is kind of our church motto, connecting with God in community. But are we going to be gracious people that we can connect with people? Do they want to connect with us? That's a huge deal. We should be looking forward to Jesus' return. And what are we supposed to be doing in the midst of that, well, Peter tells us really plainly, 
he says for us to be ready. And what I love about the amplified version of the Bible, it just, it takes the original text and amplifies it. Gives us a little bit bigger picture. So beloved, since you are looking forward to these things, Jesus' return, be diligent and make every effort to be found by him at his return, spotless and blameless, in peace. And then they give this long explanation. That is inwardly calm. So this peace that we're supposed to be found in is this inwardly calm with a sense of spiritual well-being and a confidence having lived a life of obedience to him. So whenever I this is like a list for us. So Jesus is coming back and we're supposed to be ready. So then we're supposed to be diligent and pay attention and focus and make every effort. That's, that, that's big words. We're supposed to be doing these things. Make every effort to be found by him. Some translations to say be found in him, meaning to have a relationship with him. And how is he supposed to find us when he comes back? How is he supposed to find us? Spotless and blameless and in peace. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not spotless and I'm definitely not blameless in and of myself, but because of his grace. Why am I saved? I'm saved because of grace. Do I earn it? Do I work for it? No. So I am spotless and I am blameless because of Jesus. What Jesus has done for me, what Mitch shared, what Jesus has done for us on the cross makes us spotless and blameless in his sight. And peace. One of the biggest things about revival right now that's happening in college campuses is a generation right now that struggles with identity and struggles with anxiety and depression. You guys realize that anxiety and depression in high, junior highs, high schools, and colleges is rampant right now. I mean, I remember being a little anxious when I was in junior high and high school. I was a pretty wound tight kid. Um, but it's nothing like what's going on right now. Even in our own youth group here, um, when we ever have, we have our sit-down circle time and we have heart-to-heart, hey, where are you at with Jesus right now? Depression and anxiety pops up every single time. And not just one kid. Not just the sad kid. You know, that, well, that, you know he's the sad kid. He's the Eeyore, you know, in a, of our youth group, right? No, this is all around the circle. And what's happening with this revival is this, this massive sense to these students that they're welcome, that God welcomes them, that they belong in that place in that moment, and they're accepted for who they are right now. And then this overwhelming sense of peace. God meeting this generation exactly where they're at. They have no idea who they are. And we are quick to judge that. I'm just going to tell you, we are quick, church, to judge these kids who have no idea who they are. They're begging for identity. And instead of, like, 
would you come? And let's, let's open the Word of God. Let's, say who, let's know who we are. We are made in His image, and instead of doing that, we normally just judge them, and we don't welcome them. And I don't know about you, but I'll take as much peace in my life that God will give me in the midst of the crazy. We all need peace. And Jesus says his peace is ours in him. We just need to ask. He freely gave it to us. He told his disciples, hey, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you my peace, the peace that I'm able to even go to the cross, knowing that God is in charge and this is his plan. That type of peace is the peace that I'm giving you. We're supposed to be found in him. We're supposed to be pure in him. We're supposed to be at peace with him. Verse 15 says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. If you ever think like, God, when are you going to do something? Well, he's being patient because he wants people to know him. God's patience with humanity means salvation is still available. And so for, for those of us today that have never made that decision to follow Jesus, that means today God's patience for you means you can have salvation today, whether you're in the house or whether you're watching at home or whenever or wherever. It also means that our friends and family that don't know Jesus yet, salvation is not unavailable to them. It's available to them because of God's patience. So then what are we doing to help them find Jesus? Many times it takes us being gracious with them and loving them, caring for them, serving them, telling them the truth, but with compassion, not with judgment, but with compassion. I believe that God wants heaven full. I really do. I've really been thinking a lot about that because Jesus said, hey, when one person gives their life to Jesus, heaven explodes in celebration." I believe that God's heart is for us to know him. I believe that he invites us to know him and to join him for all, all eternity. I mean, the scripture is full of passages that talk about his invitation to us, God's heart for us, that he gave his one and only son that we would know him. And then Peter goes on to talk about Paul here a little bit, which is really unique. Because if you look back at Peter and Paul's relationship, not good. Not a great relationship. Because if you studied Paul's life, when he was Saul, he was actually persecuting the church. He was after Peter and the other apostles and those who were following them and following Jesus. He was actually arresting them and even putting some to death. And then... Saul has this radical moment with Jesus, and somewhere along after that, his name is changed to Paul. We're really not really sure why. I mean, if I was wanting a new start, I'd probably change my name too, in this case. Sometimes Jesus would give you a new name, like he did with Simon. Simon's new name was what? Peter, yeah. So Paul gets saved, rescued, restored, called And he wants to meet now with the apostles. Well, if you're an apostle and one of your best friends was killed by this guy, Stephen, are you willingly going to say, yeah, come on over. Let's sit down and talk. 
Or are you going to think, he might be tricking me so I can have a meeting with him, and then that would be my last meeting. That's how it went. And then, there, and then once they did get together and talk a little bit, it still wasn't great. There was still a little rub. Paul, he was, Paul was like the little brother, I think, and just poked Peter a lot. Because Peter had this like religious spirit in him. And when he was all by himself, yeah, he would hang out with the Gentiles. And he would spend time with them. He would teach them truth. But boy, when he was with his boys, his Jewish boys, I have nothing to do with Gentiles. It's only my boys and our people. And Paul would just jab at him. What are you doing? You're supposed to love everyone. You're supposed to care for everyone. You're supposed to serve and teach everyone. Jesus said, feed my sheep. They didn't have the greatest relationship early on. But obviously to me, as I read this scripture, something changed. Because Peter refers to and actually sticks up for Paul. And what does he say about Paul? Well, (laughs) there's a little jab here, I have to say. Paul's writings are sometimes hard to understand. (laughs) But what's really neat for me as I read this, as other scriptures are. You notice that Peter is putting Paul's writings up with other scriptures. There was no other New Testament scriptures at that time. There's letters, a few letters floating around. He's like referring to the scriptures of the Old Testament, putting Paul's writings up with the scriptures of the Old Testament. That is, that's a big deal. So first of all, Peter says, well, Paul's writings are a little bit hard to understand, but they are tweaked and twisted and distorted by unstable and unwise people. Well, what gets tweaked and twisted about Paul's writing? Well, we've read a couple of them today. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not by works so that you can't boast about it. That was mind-boggling to the people of that day. Because everything, every religion in that day was all based on works. What you offered, what you did, it was all that. And Paul comes in and says, it's none of that. You are saved simply because of God's grace, because he loves, for, loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. The definition of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I've heard that for years. It's so true. We have everything that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. That's grace. And the other scriptures that Paul wrote, we read the other one. When I am weak... I am strong. That's what Peter's talking about. Paul's writings were sometimes hard to understand because it's not the way we naturally think. That's why Paul actually writes this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So we're supposed to change the way we think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will for us is good. It is pleasing. It is perfect. There's a brand new song on the radio right now, and I'm not always into the up-tempo, kind of flary songs. Usually, you know, 
But there's a new one, and it's by Elevation and Torn Wells. They sing it together, and I'm not even going to, I'm going to butcher it. But I'm just going to tell you, there's a line in there that really got me the other day. I had heard this song multiple times. I'm usually not paying attention to it. I'm driving and whatever. And there's a line that says, if it's not good, if what I'm going through is not good, then God, you're not done. And if you capture the meaning of that, if what's, what's going on in your life right now is not good, and it is a struggle, I'm just going to say, then God's not done. Because God is what? He's good. And that's sometimes hard for us to have this perspective because it seems like when we're going through difficult times, it's forever. I've been in difficult times forever. And I'm only 10 years old. <laughs> right? You have any of your kids ever say that? I'm just having a hard day. Life is horrible. And you're just like, you have to do your best. Just like, yeah, I'm with you. And then you turn around and roll your eyes like, oh, my gosh. Right? We're those 10-year-olds with Jesus. Life is so hard. And Jesus' response is, I'm not done because I'm good. I'm good. We need to change the way we think. Paul's writings are, yeah, in my weakness, I am strong. So then I'm going to boast in those things because it's not about me. It's completely about Jesus and what he's doing in me and what he's doing for me and what he's doing around me. It really is all about Jesus. And, and Peter wraps it up by saying it's all for his glory. All this, all of this is for his glory. How many of you guys have seen the new movie, Jesus Revolution? Okay. I love that movie. I've seen it twice now. Once on my laptop, once in the big theater. Way better in the big theater. Um, and there's a line in this movie where Chuck Smith, who's the pastor of the church, is sitting behind. They're in the tent. They've, they've moved into this whole new tent because the church is exploding because um, basically what they, all they simply did is open the doors and said, everybody's welcome here. And he's struggling because he, there's some disciplinary stuff that, that had to happen. I don't want to give, be a spoiler alert uh, in this movie, but here's a spoiler alert, okay? Um, but he's sitting in the back before he goes out to share, and he's just really struggling. And his wife pulls him aside, and she's talking to him, and he's talking about his weakness, and I just don't think I can do this. And, and her response is, don't be so arrogant to think that God can't work through your failures. And, you know, that line happens so fast in the movie, but that line, like, hit me with, like, a two-by-four as I watched that movie um, on Friday night. It was like, don't be so arrogant, Kevin, that God cannot work, that God won't work through your failures and weaknesses. I mean, that's what Paul tells us. So then in my weaknesses, God, then you can have them all. He, God wants all of us, not just our good stuff, but all of us. And he'll use all of us. He'll use our weaknesses. I believe he uses our weaknesses even more than he uses our strengths. Because when he uses our strengths, what usually happens on our side is like, yeah, I did that. But when God uses our weaknesses, you're like, I don't know how he did that. 
but he did it. And so then that's what we need to say. God, use my weaknesses. Use even my failures for your glory, God. That it would make a difference for your kingdom. Verse 17, Peter tells us to be on guard. Just to be ready. So we don't fall. You ever get caught off guard? Well, this is our warning. Be ready. Just be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready to be found in him. What, what does he say? Spotless and blameless. Be found in him with peace. And then verse 18, the last, last, last verse. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Can I just challenge us as a church that this is an area that we need to, to work on, to grow in grace? Even with one another, let's just grow in grace. Let's give grace. I know I want grace, and so then I need to be an example of grace. I need to be a giver of grace. Who in your life right now, think about it, who in your life right now could use a little grace? Yeah, yourself. I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, I would say if we didn't raise our hand, then how hungry are we? We, we need grace. But we also need to be givers of that grace. As God pours into us, again, we're not just vessels that are going to fill up and, and hang on to it. We need to allow him to flow in us and through us, for sure. To grow in grace. And also to grow in our knowledge of him. How do we do that? What is growing in our knowledge of him? I just simply say it's our time spent with him. If I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody, it's time spent with them. That's how I grow in my relationship, in my knowledge of who they are. So... Peter tells us to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. That means we need to spend time with Jesus. And it's the churchy stuff. It's prayer. But it's not the list. It's not just showing up to Jesus and giving him the 30-second list. It's actually sitting down for 30 seconds and just listening. When's the last time we did that? To sit down and just listen and be still and be quiet in the presence of God. That's hard to do. At least it's hard to do for me. I've been accused of not sitting still. And so it's, sometimes it's difficult. But when I do, when I just like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to spend time with you. I mean, I used to sit down. And then my mind just starts going. Oh, this is what I'm going to do after. This is what I need to do. This is, I need to get milk on the way home. Uh, you know, I need to get gas i got to do this project, that project. Oh, I need to call this person. And Jesus just simply says, would you just sit still? Would you just sit still and spend time with me? And when we sit still with him, that's how we begin to know him. And obviously, one of the ways we do that is in the word. Read your Bibles. If you're really not sure where to read your Bibles, then ask somebody that you know that walks with Jesus and let them point to a passage or two that you can read. 
Read the book of John. Read one of Paul's letters. Read the book of Acts. Like right now, what God is doing on these college campuses and stuff, read the book of Acts. It's exciting stuff about how the church started and what God did to spread the good news around the world. Spend time with him. Spend time with him in worship. And some of you are worshipers. Like if I told Ashley, Ashley, who's our worship leader here and doing a phenomenal job, thank you, Ash. Hey, spend some time with Jesus in worship. She's like, oh, that's easy because she's a worshiper big time. You see it. It like oozes out of her. But I, I have some buddies who music's not their deal. But we're still told to worship him. And that can be done through music, but it's also going to be done in the stillness of your sitting down and just giving him praise for who he is and what he's done for you. Getting to know him by spending time with him. And as we wrap up the letters of Peter, I just want to remind us of some of the things that Peter has told us to do and who we are in him. So can you stand? And I'm just going to read a couple of those to you. Peter tells us that we've been given everything that we need. Everything that we need to live this life right now. Peter tells us that we are royals. That we are royalty in Christ. That we are set apart to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Peter tells us to look forward to Jesus' return. And what we've read today, Peter tells us to be ready, to be on guard. Multiple times throughout his letters, he tells us to obey. Obey. Do the things that God is asking you to do as a follower of him. And in the last verse, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he tells us to grow. And as I read that this week, you know the phrase, if you watch sports at all, any sports people, raise your hand if you're a sports person, kind of, sort of. You know the big phrase right now when something like super exciting, everybody goes, let's go. Anybody familiar with that? So when I read that, I was like, let's grow. Can we do that? Let's grow. Jesus, that is our prayer. That was Peter's prayer so long ago for the church. And we're recipients of his prayer. So, Lord, help us grow. To grow in grace. To be Jesus to those around us. Not judges, but to be Jesus. Help us to know you more. So many are hungry, Lord, right now. So many are thirsty. I just remember in your word when you said, if anyone who is thirsty, all they have to do is come. And the streams of living water will flow from the inside out. So, Lord, flow. Pour out your spirit in us, Jesus, is our prayer. 
And church, I just want to encourage you in this moment, and I asked this earlier, but I'm going to ask it one more time. Who in your life needs grace? And I encourage you to be the extender and the giver of that grace to that person. And then how are we doing in our relationship with Jesus? Do we really know him or do we just know about him? He invites us to walk with him. What an incredible invitation to walk with Jesus. So that invitation is to you today. Whether you've known him for a long time or whether this is brand new, walk with him. Let's grow in him. And the church said? Amen. 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 Love you. I'm looking forward to uh, our time next week. We start a brand new series. We're going to jump into the Beatitudes next week. And then we're going to have lunch together after church next week or two. All right? All right. Blessings. Blessings.